Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Thorpe is coming in, gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia have got it! Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Today, we're joined by a man who was inducted into the Waffle Hall of Fame in 2010 with these words. Only 11 West Australians in history have played more senior football, but no one exhibited more courage or played at a more consistent level from the start of his career to the end. He was the first West Coast Eagle to reach the 50, 100 and 150 game milestones. And Dwayne Lamb joins us now. Welcome, Dwayne. Cheers, Sam. Uh, Good to get on board and uh, have a bit of a chat. Oh, good on you. Well, tough and consistent. There aren't too many better words to be remembered by in this brutal sport of ours. Yeah, maybe I'd like sort of highly talented, very quick, <laughs> take a big grab. But uh, no, I think I was a, a workman more than anything else. And uh, yeah, luckily I sort of didn't fall over or get hurt. So I was consistent and uh, there most weeks. Well, you had that quality that we all just gravitate to as spectators and that was courage. Is that something that you could learn over time or did you always have it in you? No, I think it was just who I was. I suppose I was always around the ball in and under, and it was uh, you know my craft. I suppose so. Never thought about any uh, possible possibility of injury or other than that. It just uh, went the ball, and yeah, you you are who you are. Other guys, you know, Brett Hetty was a classic that. Uh, I reckon Britain, he's probably not the uh, the toughest man going around or the bravest, but he used to back into these packs into the forward line and the, honestly, the, he wouldn't have realised if he hadn't known about it, I reckon he would have stopped and turned around and run, but uh, he just did it because it was instinct, but uh, yeah, you are who you are and uh, yeah, that's how I had to get my kicks and uh, you know, I enjoyed it and luckily I didn't cop any, any injuries at all. So growing up in North Inaloo, what, what sort of young footballer were you? Um, I'd say, uh, no, I wouldn't say underwhelming. I suppose I was consistent as a half-back flanker, but I, I, wasn't, I was most consistent. I didn't win the fairest and best, didn't make the combined sides, but I was probably just, uh, you know, a worker, so I, the coach is like that type of guy. Some You need a, a bit of everything. You need a bit of spark, but that was my cup of tea, so got invited over to Subi, bit of luck, and uh, probably Hayden Bunton probably uh, gave ground to me when he put me a kick behind the play at Subi, sort of with Peter Featherby Ford of the play, so so we uh, found the, the niche and uh, went from there and uh, kicked off for my career at uh, Subi and did very well and then pushed on to the Eagles. Before we come back to Subi, you, your old man played for West Perth, didn't he? He used to sit on the hill there as a kid and watch games. Well, I wish the old man had applied there. That right. was that was awesome. Park Sunday League on the Sundays, but my dad's uh, brother Norm, who was a lot older, was a mad West Perth, or he played for West Perth right. back in the the sixties. So I was I was a little bit young for that, but I was a mad West Perth supporter. So I uh, was on the hill, used to catch a bus in with the best mate, and. Uh, 
the blokes are, yeah, I, were my heroes, Mel Winnens, Bill Valleys, uh, Les Fongs and that crew, which probably people may not know from uh, different parts of the world, but they, uh, I, you know, then I got to play against them, so then they were the sworn enemy. But uh, it's, it was, uh, yeah, great upbringing. I love footy and, uh, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Footy now, it's a great sport and uh, lots, lots of people love it. So you find yourself at Subiaco, as you say, in 1980. Where, where was the club at when you arrived? Uh, it was just hanging around, not doing much at all, quite frankly. We, uh, I think I debuted, uh, I think it was about 78. You know, I, I sort of got the club sort of pretty young, a few Colts games, played quite a few resis, and then the opportunity came up. But my first couple of years, I reckon we we won one game for the season. Um, uh, the next year, I think we may have battled to get a win at all, but uh, we the club was broke. We were in all sorts of trouble. We used to welcome any Victorians that come across and join our club, so we had some great characters that came across. I'm not sure if they were all wonderful footballers, but... Uh, you know, a few names. There was an Elves who was a brother of and uh, and a, some other players that had done a little bit over there, but uh, welcome to the club. But I think they enjoyed the social gatherings more than they did the, uh, you know, the, the football standard at uh, the Subi level. But it was a great start. And uh, from, you know, I think in both there and at uh, West Coast, humble beginnings. And uh, then you appreciate the good times when they come. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Hayden Bunton Jr. earlier. Didn't he take you on a at Subiaco a preseason trip to Hawaii of all places? I, I shudder to think where the end of season trip was. But w- what was the preseason trip to Hawaii like? Uh, it had two ends of it. It was um, because it was like end of season, preseason. So we uh, we'd get out on the on the gas every night and have a real good time as you do in Hawaii. Can't miss that opportunity with a big bunch of boys. Um, but then Bunce would get us up at the crack of dawn and take us up, and he used to flog the living daylights out of us, run up, up hills or. So it was a hybrid. It. it was a hybrid trip, all in one. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was bad. Like there was oh. some few blokes that, you know, they'd just come straight from the clubs to the uh, the training session, and uh, they probably didn't even wake up until halfway through it. And uh, yeah, but then a bit of pain was was felt. Bunce was a very old school, you know, wonderful coach. I always find it hard to sort of. Uh, you know, separate or not separate, but you know, you know, people say, "Oh, what do you say at half time?" Bunce just had this connection one on one, but you know, they, I'd say oh, I can't really remember what he said, but he just had a way of getting the best out of the individuals. But he was pretty hard early on. I remember at Subi early on, we've got over here, you know, the, um, they have a run around the around the the bridges. It's about ten k's, and I remember doing it one day on about thirty six degrees or a bit hotter, even dry heat over here. But back in the day, we weren't allowed to drink water training. So, uh, you know, the bloke in front of me, Neil Taylor, I was a pretty good runner, he uh, he started to wobble. And I thought, I think I got him now. And uh, But next thing you know, he's staggered off into the water and collapsed. So I thought, oh, I'm sure someone will get to him. But uh, he had to, had to win the race. But no, I stopped and picked him up. But, uh, yeah, very hard school. But uh, after that, we were allowed to drink a little bit of water at training. Gee whiz, imagine that. The high-performance staff now would have a heart attack if they heard those sort of stories, oh. do I? Absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, Hawaii was wonderful, and I must admit, I dropped into Sydney Swans on the way through, and I'd had a chat to Carlton, but mm. uh, went in. I reckon I back then everyone said the Victorians knew everything about every West Australian run around, but it wasn't quite the case. But if you had a player that dominated in the state of Orange or Origins or such, and uh, everyone would know him, but uh, I sort of dropped into Sydney Swans and just uh, pretty much introduced myself myself and uh you know by the end of it i think uh, doc edelstein was 
sort of throwing a contract at me, and uh, but mind you, they couldn't get me a permit to play, so that sort of uh, finished up. But uh, there was a little bit of business on the way through to, to Hawaii. But it was a great trip and great memories. And obviously we'll get to West Coast formation later on in this show, but you mentioned conversations with Carlton. I mean, was that ever close to happening and you getting over earlier um, to play for the Blues in the VFL? Yeah, I think it through my uh, my partner at the time um, had a her a friend from work's partner a guy named Brian McMahon I think he got a lawyer was a the scout for Carlton over here and he'd probably talked me up and um, I think it was uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, Foster, Daryl Foster, or an old fellow that did a bit of recruiting for for Carlton. So hey, yeah, I caught up with him and uh, went across and watched the game. I think I think with Johnny Platten. I, as I said, I got a bit of dementia now, but uh, <laughs> we we're uh, over a game with him and uh, had a bit of a chat and one thing or another. And I was a, I was an absolute mad blue supporter growing up. So back in the days, the winners for those people yep. that can remember that. They were my team and, you know, I suppose the Brucey Dools and Kenny Hunter and a couple of West Australians that got over. They were my, the blokes I looked up to and, uh, you know, would love to, you know, uh, imitate or uh, get it across to have a go at, which uh, which is interesting. Uh, just briefly, I went over with North Inaloo, as you said, where I started from on a uh, end-of-season trip. I, could, I was still playing. I was at Subi playing reserves, but I could still play juniors. So I played six games, won the medal in the, the juniors, and then got this yeah, free trip over, which is, a, you know, as you do as a young kid. So went across, and uh, the Colts coach at Subi knew Vin Cotodjo, who was at Carlton at the time. Mm-hmm. So we've gone to the game and, uh, you know, enjoyed that and uh, had a few beers. I was, I think I was nearly age. And then we, uh, come midnight, Carlton obviously had won, beat Collingwood in 81, so I said, oh, we'll go out and see if we can find Vin. Hopeless, really. We had never met the bloke and got out to the ground, uh, to Princess Park, and they'd just come back from wherever they had the, the dinner of Hilton or whatever. And um, <laughs> I thought, oh, wait here. My mate was Boomer. He'd won the Colts medal, so he got a trip, free trip over. And I've gone, all the players came in. They went walking into a private sort of um, part of the grandstand to a function. And for whatever reason, I just tagged along. And they must have thought I was a sponsor's son or or whatever so next minute i'm standing in a circle with the, the legends that i watched on you know winners on a saturday night and uh and i seemed to feel fit in a little bit so i'd gone up to the drink up to the bar and ordered a triple triple scotch and coke from memory i, I can't remember that <laughs> it started started from a low base then oh uh, yeah so i thought oh well i'm in here so i've gone back and they must have just thought i was i wasn't annoying them and i was sort of uh, what sort of participating to some small level so i went and got my mate we ended up drinking with the premiership team till i think it was 4 30 in the morning <laughs> and uh Mind you, was playing a game that morning with uh, you know one of the junior sides in Melbourne, but uh, it was a wonderful memory to to actually be around the Premiership team you just watched and you'd been barracking for every year. Oh, geez, the Carlton supporters listening to this, Dwayne, will be uh, wishing that the planets aligned and he did uh, line up in the navy blue. No doubt about that. But uh, by about this point in time, you're a Subiaco regular. In '82, you won the best and fairest. I imagine that gave you a lot of belief that you belonged at the top level. Yeah, I never got ahead of myself, and I, as I said, a lot goes to Hayden Bunton to put me in a role where we were starting to build into a reasonable team with some youth, and a couple of Peter Featherby came back from Geelong, and we started to sort of make some ground, and um, yeah, he put me in this role where I played a kick behind the play, so I didn't have to, a player to look after, and uh, the boys got the ball and gave it to me most of the time, so suddenly I was in the numbers, and uh, I'd kick the feathers, and he'd kick the goals, and it uh, yeah, it was a pretty good recipe, and that probably gave me the conf- confidence as a 
as you get to a next level, it's funny, you, you build in confidence and you, you reach new levels that you never thought you'd get to. So never thought earlier on that I'd get to an AFL situation. But And even, you know, at the end of 86, Eagles started and um, the Carlton and the Sydney Swans thing hadn't quite happened. And I was, I was 26, so I thought, well, the boat... May have sailed, but uh, yeah, West Coast. I'd had a we'd won the flag that year, so we we're probably the, the the main team in town. And uh, yeah, I wasn't the uh, the highest profile or the getting the biggest check, but I certainly um, yeah, I got my spot and uh, you know built on it from there. Just on that Subiaco Premiership, obviously the one win in '82, four wins at '83, and the the flag in '86 must have been enormously satisfying and on grand final day itself you were named second best on grand kicked a couple of goals as well i mean what a feeling that must have been absolutely i suppose but has said if you you, you endure the the bad times when they, the good times come it just makes them feel so much more special but uh yeah it was an interesting day that one that uh, i've I was probably built into kicking a few goals in my career but it wasn't my noted um ability and I think I kicked two of the first three on the day and uh, the boys pretty much said, if Fatty's kicking a goal, then it's all over. We got this wrapped up. But <laughs> I had, uh, and I, again, I was playing a kick behind the play and, and I was uh, on a guy named uh, Jared Neesham, who obviously uh, mm-hmm. was a very talented player over this way. Went to Sydney uh, for a little bit, Jared, and then he came back and coached Dockers, etc. He used to play a similar role the other way, so uh, but he wasn't one to pick anyone up. So I went forward and... Uh, sort of managed to sneak a couple on him. Mind you, it was a classic in that game that my sec- first shot at goal, I've run, I've picked up the ball, and I'm not sure if you would know much about me, but I've, I'm a very much a left footer. Yes. To the point where I reckon I've kicked in my career probably half a dozen right footers in my whole career. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was that quick I could get round onto my left at, uh, you know, lady luck or, or otherwise I just didn't use it. But... I decided in the grand final, my first shot from about 45 metres out on that sort of angle uh, to try and kick a right footer and out in the full, like uh, that far, you went, went dead right sideways. And uh, again, so uh, yeah, that wasn't a, a great start, but uh, certainly a couple of goals followed. And uh, then Mark Zanotti, I think, picked up the, yeah. the medal that year. And the, you know, I thought uh, he'd... He sort of looked good later in the, the game with his long hair flying and uh, racing out of the back line. But, uh, yeah, I think he's he holds on to my medal quite well. Yeah, I was going to mention Mark Zanotti, who was best on ground that day. He became a cult figure in the VFL, you know, several years later. But clearly, well, the way you describe him, he might have been a cult figure then. Yeah, he's a bit of a lad. He uh, Bunce had to rein him. He had a bit of his bit of a, that rat pack. He loved to drink and still does. You know, got his could probably get a fill as uh, Father Christmas with the red nose nowadays. But uh, <laughs> always loved a good time and uh, and other and. Uh, but yeah, he had a bit of dash off a half back, long hair, and uh, yeah, he was obviously a bit younger than I was. But he uh, he did stand out in the game, and uh, yeah, I think he stole it on a a reasonable second half, and when the game was already done. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Next, Dwayne Lamb takes us behind the scenes of the early days at the West Coast Eagles. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hello again. Great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with West Coast great Dwayne Lamb. Well, Dwayne, what was the hype like out west as the news that WA was getting its own team in the VFL and it was finally becoming a reality? What was that like? 
Oh, exceptionally exciting, I suppose, within. It's, at the time, I suppose, we love footy over here, but it was uh, not quite the level as it is in Victoria at the, or at the time and as is now that you guys sort of live and breathe football and, uh, you know, if you're walking down the street in the first couple of years, you'd be more recognised in Melbourne by anybody, even playing for that terrible team from the east, uh, from the west, west coast, than you would be in Perth. But they, a lot of people call us the Chardonnay set or the west coast supporters. Dockers are a little bit different. But it was, um, yeah, it was exciting. You know, our, our opportunity, we'd done very well, sort of state of origin games, state games, and thought we and supplied plenty of good players to the... Uh, the uh, VFL sort of prior to the West Coast entering. And uh, so certainly, yeah, it, it got the news and uh, they really sort of flashed it up. At the, I think the casino had just opened, so they jumped in as a sponsor. And next thing you know, we had eaglets to start the season and it was all uh, very upmarket and very sort of uh, very flash and uh, certainly got the attention of the people over here. And and, and, and certainly, uh, you know, I think we started pretty well, so got the attention of the Victorians as well. Now, we talk about Matt Rell, the Gold Coast Suns, being a ready-made player as a teenager. You were coming in at 26, weren't you? I mean, that, that is the definition of a ready-made player. You're ready to go. Yeah, probably walkers, stick and all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's happened a bit in the last couple of years. You look at the Marlon Pickets and other mm. that have been taken out of competitions over here and elsewhere where they've fitted straight in. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah no, I, was, I was ready to go. I certainly wouldn't want to leave my run any longer. I think uh, Mick Malthouse got to the club and put that bit of polish on. And I th- um, and he, I think he had a rough rule of, you know, get to 30 and that's it. They wind you down. And I broke that barrier, thank goodness, and hung around for another three or four years to grab a flag and, uh, you know, do a bit of celebrating. We'll come back to Mick uh, a little bit later on. But what sort of club did you walk into on day one, uh, Lammy? You must look at the facilities now with some envy. Oh, absolutely. We uh, our, If you like, our training sort of centre was a, uh, I'm not sure if it was a Mitsubishi van or a, uh, you know, a Hilux. It was, uh, you know, for the Ute or the, the van, but we'd meet at sort of various ovals. We didn't have a, you know, Subia was where we played our games or the Wacker at the time for the, the cricket ground for a Friday night game, but we didn't have our own base as such. So, uh, um, you know, Subi, my the club I came from, they had the Subi oval. So we had to... We played the games there, but we were really jumping from one place to another. We'd play at the uni, trained at the Union grounds. We trained out at you know, ovals out at Swan Districts Way, sort of Bassendine and whatever. And uh, yeah, we were a mobile home, if you like. But I think it just built the character of the club, and particularly, I suppose, the the travel amount that we did. That you know, we all came out of a eight different clubs. We're all, we're all competing against each other, and. Again, team against team, but then suddenly we're building a trying to build a team, but we're also competing each other for a spot. So it was a yeah, an amazing period, and the time we spent on aeroplanes and in hotel rooms over there, and uh, you know we're a bit more social in those days, and perhaps a couple of quieties after the games and on the planes on the way back, we we bonded quickly, and uh, you know I think uh, a little hiccup in year two with injuries and etc., but uh, I think we got up and going you know very smartly. I was going to ask you about the interstate trips and what they were like, because back in those days you would have got off work on a Friday, I imagine, then you would have had a few cold ones on the way back, all the things the current crop of players can't do, but as you said, good bonding times. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, Friday used to be, and we all worked back in those days, you know, but uh, I miss the, the big dollars, if you like, but uh, we had all our day jobs, except for a couple of lazy lazy sods like, uh, you know, Bluey McKenna and a <laughs> Pete Matera who came along, you know, the, the younger version, and they could probably make a bit of that early, you know, marketing money, if you like, but... Uh, um, 
we worked, we trained after hours, the way it was back then, and then on a Friday, what would you rather go to work or uh, jump on a plane with your mates and go go over east and have a game of football? So I'd take the, the second one, and we'd get across there, and yeah, certainly it was more relaxed. Uh, and, and I wonder about today's football from the point of view it's it's a business now, and it's still you'd you'd play for nothing. I'm sure all the players would because you just want to play at the top level, but. It is a business, so whether the enjoyment's not as great as it was back then. Um, the other thing is, I suppose, uh, you're more visible to the uh, the community now with uh, you know cameras and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. So it's not quite as, quite as easy to uh, turn your jacket inside out and uh, you know get off the plane and sneak into the you know Burswood Casino and have a good time for a few more hours before you went home. Round one, 1987, Dwayne. Obviously, the inaugural season, the first time we see West Coast. So you're 33 points down at three-quarter time against Richmond at home, but you kick nine goals in the final quarter to win by 14. Exhilarating start. Yeah, you can't be that, can you? I suppose we uh, maybe nerves early on. You know, Richmond were pretty solid then. They had some great legends still running around to, uh, for them. And, yeah, things just fell on the to place late, you know, I suppose we were good on a, a dry track and I can't remember what the weather was like that day, that day but you know, we had the narkles and some small guys that uh, could cover ground and I think, you know, we had some player types that could turn a game or sort of make a bit of a difference but uh, yeah, maybe we just held on a bit better, the Victorians with their big strong legs uh, were wonderful in the mud but uh, perhaps the early days over here it uh, it was, it really gave us a bit of an advantage that uh, on a dry track and uh, you know, in a big crowd for the first time we sort of uh, were able to get up and get the results so yeah you can't start any better than that. You talk about the mud what sort of culture shock back in those days was it playing at grounds like Moorabbin and Princess Park you know ground services have come a long way but there were some absolute paddocks back in those days. Oh, it was amazing. It'd be, you know, you wish you could take people back and just take them out in the oval, even with a camera, and just show them what it was like. It was like playing in a, you know, in a pasture. You know, you're <laughs> waiting for a cow to run past you instead of um, Gary Ablett or uh, Tony Lockett. And mind you, they're both as heavy and as hard as what a cow would have been coming at you. But, uh, yeah, it was amazing. And it always seemed to be the showers were cold afterwards. And, uh, you never felt that warm before the game. They'd always, you'd have a beer with the, the other players after the game, and that was all all wonderful. But yeah, before before you got there, yeah, cold showers, not much room. You know, the the change rooms falling apart, and uh, the ovals were honestly just that thick with mud. You know, it was a different sort of uh, not sand base like over here. So you get a good shower, and uh, it sits around, and you know. So we were probably you know. Couldn't cover the ground or hold the ground like the Victorians could, so that was their advantage. But uh, yeah, totally different. I remember one game or well, going back uh, in a, a good year, '91, where we, I think we won 13 in a row. I was going to ask you this. This is the famous game at Princess Park, as you say. The Victorian game uh, grounds weren't sand based. Well, they were this day. It was '91. Oh. You'd won 12 straight. You ran into a pretty average Carlton side. I think they'd only won five games up until this point. But um, yeah, the surface was something else. Absolutely. Well, I think it was um, Carlton and I've been a mad supporter. They had some pretty ritzy supporters as well as, you know, from you know, down to earth sort of mad Carlton people. But they were a little bit above the, the Collingwood mark. And I'll get in trouble for that, I suppose. But they, uh, supporter-wise, but they, I reckon that you had all your, your corporate boxes and they had the windows on. So they this particular day, that there'd been a heap of rain around and the ground wasn't in real good nick because, you know, the maintenance was nowhere near what it was and the preparation and all that sort of stuff, so you did what you did. But they decided, I think, to try and soak it up a bit and dump a heap of sand, top dressing, whatever you like to call it on it, 
and uh, and so to look at it to start off, it looked reason quite reasonable. But once you got out there and stirred it up, it was like a it was like a pig pen. It was, and so these poor old you know uh, people paying the, the dollars up in their their, their boxes, they were closing their windows because the uh, the smell from the, uh, the the track wasn't all that flash. But uh, and it certainly slowed us down to near on zero, you know, uh, miles per hour or whatever it was back in those days. So. Yeah, we got touched up badly, and uh, I think it we got the wobbles, and uh, yeah, we'd never really recovered. But I think when you look back at it, I think uh, winning that many games in a row, you've got to be careful that you don't you, you start running forward of the ball, you don't, and you forget where the hard work's done. And I think we'd probably the signs would start to happen prior to that, but uh, certainly was a you know a terrible day that one, and. Uh, Probably never got back up and running for uh, 91, and we were pro- we were probably you know, as good 91 as what we were at 92. It's yeah, so a 91. You played finals, didn't you? Were you that first final against Melbourne? Were you close to missing that? Uh, John Todd was a wonderful coach for a couple of years. First year we had a lot of injuries, mm. um, so he had to play me. I, I was never one of Toddy's favourites, so I didn't sort of get, grab every stake game sort of uh, when he was in in charge. But uh, picked up a couple. But under West Coast, he sort of ran out of players, had to play me, and I ended up doing pretty well under him. And he sort of uh, he probably thinks of you know I was better than what I, I was you know at the start of it all, but. I popped my AC joint, um, I can't remember, I was against Footscray out on Western Oval on a hard day, you know how hard that track got out there, popped it out, and uh, but I was in good form, and um, the next week, I think uh, we were coming into finals, it was the first final, that was 88, I think, and uh, uh, it was very old school, and we used to stay across at the Royal Parade, across the road from the um, um, you know, Carlton's uh, Oval, Princess Park, and we'd go for a run on a Friday night when we got over, and then we'd roll out on Saturday and do our best. But this Friday night, I had to have a fitness test, and they're a little bit different from what they are now. And so my fitness test with a with a popped AC joint, uh, which wasn't great, was reasonably painful. But I had to do um, five one arm push ups on the on the arm or slot shoulder that I'd popped the AC joint on. So if it wasn't knackered before the uh, Fitness test. It was certainly knackered after. So I played, and we played Melbourne. I played on. Yeah, no, it wasn't Jared Hilly, Greg Hilly. Yep. And ran with him. And but when I look, when I watch the replays, that uh, you know, I, my arm was tucked up. You know, like I should have had a sling around it. Because, uh, but you know, I sort of got by and sort of stopped him getting touches and uh, did pretty well. You with this is your sporting life brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. After the break, we'll get Dwayne's memories of Mick Malthouse going west and that improvement as he took over at the Eagles. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with former West Coast star Dwayne Lamb. Well, Dwayne, the inaugural season, Ron Alexander was the coach. What sort of style do you remember him trying to impart? Um, Ron played a lot of footy as you know, captain coach, um, so he's a very affiliated, close to the players, and uh, you know that was the, the way he, he went in. And uh, so yeah, he was a real players coach. Um, you know, I thought he was hard done by. You know, what we won eleven in that first season, so we pretty much halved it. Probably you know just missed out on finals. So yeah, he was a bit unlucky. Um, so out he went, and uh, uh, which yeah the players were a bit disappointed, and uh, in came John Todd. So, uh, yeah, the, the next chapter. 
Indeed. So he took you to that final that we, uh, the first final that we just discussed in the previous segment in 1988, but then he's gone. So you've had two coaches in three seasons. He, John Todd spending the two seasons at the club. How did that come about? Two coaches in the first three years. Yeah, I think the, um, I'm just trying to think what our list numbers were back then, but it was pretty low, like 38, 39 players around that. And uh, I think the second year of poor old Toddy, we had a lot of injuries. So virtually whoever was fit got a game. So we struggled a bit that year. Next year we had a better run, did pretty well. Um, So yeah, he was, it was a bit unlucky again, Toddy. I think the expectation perhaps over here, you know, has said, you know, I've mentioned that they call the West Coast supporters a bit the Chardonnay set. Maybe uh, were a bit impatient and, you know, a lot of clubs hadn't had a, you know, the premiership for a long, 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 long time. And, uh, our guys were quite driven. We probably had some businessmen sort of associated that were, uh, you know, I suppose had strong expectations and they w- we wanted good results. And, uh, you know, not that we were doing poorly by in- any means, but um, I think they, they were looking for that, uh, you know, a bit of Victoria to come across here to um, not give us relevance, but, uh, you know, just give us that side of it. And I think, you know, Mick got the nod um, and, uh, you know, I thought he you know, he brought some wonderful stuff to the uh, the club and perhaps areas where we, we focused on that, uh, you know, perhaps we may not have in the, in the past. Well, it was said that Mick Malthouse was very close to his players at the Dogs and some people suggested maybe even too close. Too close. Is it, is it safe to say, Dwayne, that he didn't let that happen at the Eagles? Yeah, he it, it tried and tried, but, you know, I suppose, you know, for long term when you get success, it's hard not to build a close relationship and, and, and bond, and whether it be player with player or player with coach. So, yeah, but when he first got here, it was very much uh, at arm's length. He'd obviously, you know, the Brad Hardy and and the, the, a couple others that probably he got felt got too close to and that sort of backfired a bit. And he, uh, he he sort of probably made a, came over here with that thought in mind. So I remember going around with him, Whoosh and I sort of had a feed at his place. So he didn't, you know, he still wanted to, you know, have a relationship. You know, Mick wasn't a, a drinker as such, but he'd sort of, he, you know, kept it as a professional as it could be back then, but he was still trying to, to build a, you know, a rapport with the players. And, uh, um but, yeah, by the end of it, I think it, it was hard not to because you have that success together. You can't help but get closer and closer. But, uh, yeah, towards the end, I suppose, and he was, uh, you know, itchy feet perhaps to get back to Victoria and, you know, he'd been there a while and it was time to move on. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, he tried to keep that that, that distance, uh, particularly early, just to, to keep it professional and make sure uh, mistakes hadn't happened, perhaps that may have happened over at Footscray. Well, there was an immediate impact under him, no doubt about that. 1990, have that amazing qualifying final draw with Collingwood. You beat them in, um, you get through to the prelim that year and you lose to Essendon. And then the next year, 1991, you find yourself heading to Waverley Park. What did you think you were going to get in that grand final in 1991? What do you remember of the build-up? Um, I think we touched on the you know, the, the game against Carlton uh, at Princess Park when you know we got beaten by the bottom team, if you like. And, um, and so I think you know, we hadn't retained you know the play the the, the 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 style that we had previously in the year, and when we you know we could beat anything basically. But uh, Hawthorne were a bit different. You know they were, they'd had experience at winning at the top level. They were a, probably a taller side, so they. They're probably we didn't match up as well as them, but um, yeah, and I don't think we were anywhere near our best. But just to you know, add you know, fire to the uh, wood to the fire at uh, getting out to Waverley, freezing cold, um, great showers after the game. I'll give you that. But um, the oval was you know, you know, cold and uh, you know, wintry, and you know, the crowd wasn't as big obviously as the uh, what you get at the MCG. So. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, I must admit, I sat on the bench for a fair bit of that game and, uh, you know, I got a cold bum and uh, we never quite got going. But uh, it was an interesting one, even going back to earlier earlier on, uh, I suppose, the Collingwood, that draw and all that sort of stuff. Uh, previously, it, uh, there's always a, a sort of an upside to any story. I think Summer missed the goal to, um, mm. and took us back for a game the next week. And I remember trying to console him after the game and walking off with him. And I said, well, look, Sum, but, you know, back in those days, things were different with it, you know. Uh, with payments, etc. I said, just think about it. Well, we get an extra match payment for an extra game now, mate. So we're uh, trying to bring him up, but he was probably getting paid twice what I was. So uh, probably didn't have the same impact. But you, uh, you got flogged the next week too. But then you you bounced back against Melbourne and you got into that prelim. But um, yeah, Angry Anderson. Were you an Angry Anderson fan? Uh, yeah, I've always didn't mind him, along with plenty of others. But uh, yeah. <laughs> And the heavy defeat, the 53 points to the Hawks as it was in the end, how much did that burn over the, the following summer? Because you're able to make immediate amends, and we'll get to 92 in a minute, but it was must have been a valuable learning experience for you just the same. Well, it's, it seems to happen a little bit where uh, a side will get beaten you know, in a, a grand final, and uh, you'll, it's like uh, you, you'll come back and better it the next year. Not always, not always the case, but certainly it's a bit of a pill to swallow. But uh, you'd rather come third on the day, coming second on a grand final day, is you can't get a, a worse feeling. So we were fortunate that we were, besides myself and a couple of others, we were pretty young, so we we could learn from it and uh, let it burn in the back of your mind and. Uh, and uh, you know, build on it for the the, the the next year. And you know, you got to be humble, and you got to make sure that you you don't take things for granted in the way you play the game. And we probably got a bit ahead of ourselves and never quite caught up. But I certainly think it it helped us the following year and it kept us you know on track to um, you know, keep performing and not get ahead of ourselves. Ninety two, obviously Geelong at the MCG. You seem much better prepared, and, and Peter Matera goes out and kicks five goals from a wing. I mean, did you did you play with a more skillful footballer in your time? Do you think? Besides Pete and myself, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, he had a he had a touch of uh, talent about him, Pete. You know, uh, and a touch of uh, you know he had a pretty good ego too, so he'd back himself in. But you know, when you think he was playing on Mark Bester, who was obviously a West Australian, and got, went to Geelong and was a Exceptional player there himself. Um, for uh, to to kick five on him on a wing is incredible. I, I reckon it wasn't that long ago. I actually, it's been through the COVID that we've had a few sort of replays on the the TV, sort of uh, to to fill the void of football games, etc. And uh, um, I probably haven't watched the '92 that often. You know, life's been busy, too many children, all that sort of stuff. But and I probably had a a solid game. Had one little sort of uh, you know a whole mix sort of talked up a chase down a Robert Scott but mm. other than that you know I had a solid game but you know if I was Pete Matera and kicked five off a wing I reckon I would have you know worn out my video copy of the game but uh, he was pretty pretty good but yeah it was a it was a wonderful day but at the same token we were playing a very good side you know Geelong you know we're, we're no slouches through that era like Hawthorne were and uh, you know Gary Ablett and uh, another Billy Brownless you know in the midfield of the you know couch and um I said Bairso and Buse and all these type of guys. They were very talented players and uh, you know, great blokes too. You know, we have many a beer with them. You managed only the four games in 94. How challenging was 94? Because the team goes on to win a, a second flag that you have to watch. A challenging period? 
Um, yeah, it's mind you, I was, I think I was in my thirty fourth year. Mm. Nowadays, I see uh, running machines that guys can go longer, but back then there was not wasn't a lot that sort of played sort of deep into their thirties, and particularly with Mick, and we had a, probably a wealth of ability. Uh, and players there and you know a Drew Banfield came along who was probably a similar sort of fit to what I was and he uh, he was probably champion at the the heels to get his opportunity and I'd copped an injury I think uh, early in the year David Hines had sort of fallen on my ankle and uh, it was middle of the year and I missed quite a few games and you know, I'd probably come back and I think it was just, uh, yeah, my time was done. Mick was wonderful. I was, as said, the first life member of the club, making the 150. So I not set up and got one extra when he, he probably thought, shit, hold on. And I think they got beaten the next week. And because I think I, I played the 150, played the regional. I think I picked up an award that day at the Wacker on, on, a, on a Friday night. And I think, but we got, may have got beaten, but the next week, uh, that was it. I was, I was, missed the, the, the game and, uh, I'm not sure if Drew came in that time, but they, they did made a change, but they got beaten and, uh, so I came back for one more, one more match and uh, that was out at Waverley. Oh, I must admit, it was a terrible place for me or <laughs> well, for us, but, uh, I played on Platten that day against Hawthorne again because of the matchup. They were all tall. I was a bit played, I was fat, flat footed, so I played shorter, but, Platten was well, seen to be probably a bit quick for me, but I I was stronger body wise, and so and I I wasn't as slow as what uh, they might have thought, and uh, did all right that day, and uh, it probably came out with the honours against uh, a very good player in John Platten, and uh, but we got beaten, and so the day I think Mick said, oh, but one fifty one, I think we've got to move on and build for the future, and uh, my time was up, but uh, I was there at the the ninety four, obviously, and you know. Uh, part of it but uh yeah was probably never thought I was gonna my, my run was there to sort of sneak back in but you never know but uh yeah it was a, another great victory and uh yeah I probably got to celebrate uh, earlier and uh, <laughs> a little bit the night before as well so did you leave satisfied when you look back on it did you achieve everything you you wanted to possibly get out of it oh uh, yeah absolutely like uh, as said if I hadn't played an AFL or a VFL game you know, probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. Mm. And, you know, I would have loved to have, but uh, I didn't. Ever, never had expectations. I was never the best player, the most talented, or made the the uh, state. You know, the, a lot of the state size and that sort of stuff. I did sort of towards the end when I was in form eighty five, eighty six. But and then built good form after that with West Coast. But no, then to win a premiership, um, being in you know in a you know a losing losing side which was you know, painful but you know still there and being part of a very good team for 150 games from 26 years of age through to 34 uh, yeah I couldn't expect any more than you know oh you know you could give yeah yeah I wouldn't expect any more than that it was just a, a great ride and uh, yeah it was time to sort of I, I wasn't done from playing footy but uh, at that level it was time to finish up and uh, you know look at other things. Well, you went back and finished your playing career, which is nice, I think. Nice synergy with Subiaco, where it all started. It would have been a nice way to round it out. Yeah, well, I wish I had a rounded out at Subi, but I sort of kicked on a, a, for a few more years oh, elsewhere. <laughs> at, uh, but Subi was great. You know, I suppose at that stage, I probably never had great aspirations to sort of coach, but uh, I loved the, just the club environment, you know, football clubs, and loved being involved. So um, I went back to Subi and Gary Bacanaro, another legend from uh, Subi and uh, WA that did so well with Hawthorne, had come back as coach. And so I sort of sat in the, uh, you know, on the coaching side of as well as playing for the, uh, you know, another couple of years. And we missed a flag in 96 and then it was time to call it quits at that level. But yeah, then it was more... 
have a kick for social reasons, even more so, if you like, and went down to Wembley Amateurs and had a bit of a run around down there for a year. And then Peter Wilson came down and got as coach, which was totally devoid of me getting there. And uh, he drove me out to Swan Districts as, into a bit of an assistant coaching role for a couple of years. And, uh, um, yeah, to, to wind it down, did a bit of running back at West Coast and a couple of games down at South Mandra when I was 41. So I never <laughs> quite knew how to give up. <laughs> Very nice. Well, that comes back to the love of the game, doesn't it, of course. So we're talking to Dwayne Lamb on This Is Your Sporting Life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly. We'll get Dwayne's recollections of the day. Maybe his life might have just flashed before his eyes. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. West Coast Premiership star Dwayne Lamb is our guest today. Well, Dwayne, footy's a tough game, we know that, and you have some stories to tell about that, because in 1991 against Geelong, you were knocked down in a pretty nasty sling tackled, and you, you swallowed something you shouldn't have. Yeah, it was a. You know, I can't remember the second half of the story, but the uh, the first half we're up against Geelong and Buddha Hocking was in the middle. He was a can be a bit of a dog on his day. Sort of he had the opportunity to get you, but it was his brother Stephen who I suppose works at the in the uh, uh, the, the AFL now that was running through and I, he actually clipped me with his knee and uh, so yeah, there's nothing in it. And uh, but yeah, he certainly got me good. I knocked me out and I had a had a short short fit. Um, and yeah, the story was I'd swallowed my tongue and the doctor, Geelong doctor, who was a wonderful fellow and I've caught up with him a few times since then to, to embellish the story, but he, uh, he got to my uh, rescue and pushed his long fingers all the way down my throat to, to retrieve my tongue and uh, clear my airways and, uh, and set me on my way. But uh, push come to shove, I think he got out there and he did clear my airways, but I don't think I had quite swallowed the tongue and uh but you know it's uh, yeah it's uh, talked it up a bit to make him look good and uh, make it look like i'd got a fair whack because i think i'm just trying to think memories whether i came back on that day too back in the days when it was yeah. cowboyish i think i went off and uh I think I might have come back on late in the game. But, I was going to uh, ask you if you played the next week, let alone come back on in the same game. Oh, mate, I can. It's back. It was a bit, a bit harder back in those days. So you know, if you could count your fingers, they put up three, and you, you're close enough. If you got two to four, then you've, uh, you're close enough to being correct. You'd be pushed back out there if uh, they wanted you back on the field. It, uh, it was yeah, a bit more rugged. Actually, I remember another day at the MCG where Donny Pike. This must be tells you that I had my head down over the ball, I suppose, but. Don Pike was a mate of mine and played, uh, you know, plenty of games with me. He was sort of in the middle and came through, and he's tried to soccer a ball, and he's he's caught me in the um, between the eyes and slashed slashed me open. It was only, you know, as long as a five cent piece, if you like, but it was a bit of blood coming out of it. So early in the first quarter, I thought, oh, Don, thanks very much. So I've been taken off. The surgeon stitched me up and came back, and I'm sitting there, and this eye, particularly the one of the eyes, it was. Or both, actually, from memory. It, it was like uh, I was looking at the Red Sea. It, it, it was sort of half up my eyeball. And it felt like I was underwater and uh, had to wait for this uh, blood to sort of clear before I could go back on. But Mick, as he was, like he'd done to me before, he come on, come on, how's he going? And uh, I was back out there. But uh, the doctor did say, well, we'll let it get down to a, so he can see a bit of a puddle in his eyes before he uh, he comes back on. But, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a harsh school back then in, in playing footy. 
What relationship do you have with West Coast now all these years on, Dwayne, and how do you keep yourself busy? Well, I've got a very strong relationship. The club being still a young club, you know, Nizzy at the, the top has always encouraged sort of the uh, life members and past players groups to, to stay involved. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty close to it. Being a life member, they're very good to us. We're um, particularly now at Optus Stadium, we're in a, one area, whereas before at Subi, we're spread all over the place, the, the 150 games to be a life member. So we now sort of get to socialise and sit next to each other or stand next to each other in this great area called The Landing. So um, yeah, sort of there regularly um, because I've spread my children. They all love the love the sport. My daughter uh, works at West Coast in the finance area, and so she works match day, and she's nearby. And the all the, the younger kids sort of uh, I've got a fourteen year old that's still running around that's playing. That so he loves to get along. So the club's been very good from that point of view. And any sort of uh, functions, they sort of always get the invite along to that sort of stuff. But aside from that, I'm. Um, Father and son as well, I suppose. But uh, aside from that, I'm back at the grassroots with Subi Footy Club. I'm on the board there and, uh, you know, we've uh, had a pretty wonderful sort of uh, run over the last sort of 20 years. We're, we were so back, bad back in the early days, but uh, we've probably won every second grand final for the last 15, 20 years. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've been there five years. And I think we've won, you know, three or was it four flags? I'm getting bit uh, non-humble there when I can't remember, but uh, we've had a, a wonderful run. So I'm back there, sort of set up over the uh, the um, the coaching side of thing and, and give a little bit of input. Fantastic, Dwayne. I've got to say, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I was just a whippersnapper growing up watching the game when you were running around in uh, in the blue and yellow, and you were workmanlike, consistent, you're an enduring performer, and you have in the years since perfected the art of modesty, but you were certainly a critical part of the club and the side, and obviously it's first forays into finals and achieving that most special of premierships, the maiden one of 1992. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Sam. Cheers. And thank you too for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.